Johnny Gould's Jewish State. This is part two of episode 52, Israel's world-leading coronavirus vaccine rollout, how and why they've achieved it, how the world's reacted to it, and how it might change the region in tandem with the Abraham Accords. Scroll back one episode to hear experts from the worlds of medicine, research, ambassadorial diplomacy, politics, journalism, and national security. Because this is the extended version of the interview featured there with Colonel Richard Kemp. Richard is always very generous with his time and gave me a perspective on coronavirus unique to him with his former role as chair of COBRA's national security in the UK and his own intimate knowledge of Israel's history and culture. Thank you again, Richard. Uh, first time Colchester, then Tel Aviv, and now here in lockdown. Yeah, I'd rather be in Tel Aviv right now. <laughs> the GNT at three o'clock in the afternoon, which was, uh, wasn't was unpleasant. No, it was good. I wrote an article yesterday, which was published yesterday or the day before on that. I'm, yes, I did. I, I read that. Thank you. Very, very, very timely. Thank you for that. Good prep for me. <laughs> I wrote it. I wrote it for you alone. <laughs> of course. As always, it is my pleasure to welcome Colonel Richard Kemp to Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Welcome to you, sir. Thank you very much, Johnny. It's a real pleasure to be back with you yet again on your marvellous programme. <laughs> You're winning your third cap today, which is unprecedented. Today we're talking about national security. Now, of course, you were a member of uh, COBRA, the government's top-level crisis management committee. Health really is as much an issue of national security as counter-terrorism. And so I guess the first question is, are the most successful nations in vaccinating their populations those which apply the values of defence against other security threats? I think there's a very good point you make there, a good question you ask. And I think we, you know, we can look at the responses of a number of countries in the world to coronavirus in terms of their control measures to try and reduce it and also their, 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 the, what we know of their plans to vaccinate against it. And what, one thing we have seen is, that, is the effectiveness of authoritarian states at dealing with this. Um, now, of course, that effectiveness does come at a price. They can simply command people to do whatever it is they want them to do, and they will do it by and large. Uh, and they don't need to worry about what the media say. They don't need to worry about, because they control the media, of course. They don't need to worry about opposition because there isn't any significant opposition. So they, they, they simply can organize things in a, in a very authoritarian, dictatorial way as they do everything else. And, and in many cases, that's been shown to be effective, which you'd expect. Now, of course, the price you pay for that in your in the entire life of your society is certainly not worth what you gain in a crisis like this. But what it does do, I think, is to illustrate the um, kind of all-out approach you need uh, to, to to fight a virus like this and to and to uh, vaccinate people against it. And I would say that, that one, one country that we've seen um, striking, I wouldn't even call it a middle path, but making use of all of the uh, mechanisms of crises that it is unfortunately very used to deal with, while not being an authoritarian state, not having a dictatorial regime, yet being extremely effective is Israel. And I think most people recognise Israel has led the world as far as the vaccination program is concerned. Yes, it's had its problems with actually starting and stopping lockdowns, etc. But I don't think it's been any 
worse, particularly than any other country uh, in, in terms of controlling the virus. But I think everyone would acknowledge that it's led the world. And, and there, there are reasons for that. And one of those reasons is that the fact that this country is run by and peopled by individuals who have, with virtually no exceptions, have military experience. Mm. And therefore, they have an understanding of the need, I think, for the kind of measures that military forces and indeed police forces in some circumstances apply to dealing with other crises. And on top of that, the country has been at war virtually continuously to one level or another since 1948. And people understand the, uh, the, you know, the, the need for, for express measures to be taken and for, for all hands to go to the pump when necessary. Now, I'm sure many Israelis watching this will be smiling at what I'm saying because they probably also tell you how chaotic the bureaucracy can be <laughs> in the country. And I think we all know that as the same, same as it is in our country. But what one reality is that when, when those people uh, see a, a threat to themselves, whether it's a threat from rockets, a threat from terrorism or a threat from a, a, an illness like this, I think they, you know, they, they, they do tend to have a very effective military, almost military type way of responding. Now, it was about a year ago that we talked in Tel Aviv just before lockdown. I'm so grateful in retrospect that we managed to actually do that. On the promenade, it was a February day, we remarked that we were in shirt sleeves about the immediate response to crisis actually being the very grist of national growth. Every time Israel finds an issue to grapple with, they set up the, the National Center for, or the sponsor's name, National Center for, in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv or Haifa and Israel really has distinguished itself in a very very global light a great sense of pride that Israel is top of the table in vaccinating its people they say by Passover 100% of the population will be doing it even Palestinian prisoners there on uh, on terror charges will be vaccinated faster than your average American or French citizen which is which is which is quite a, a an amazing thing to to ponder for a moment. But then, of course, we have the UAE and Bahrain, and then I'm suddenly thinking, well, I've heard those three nations mentioned in a sentence before in recent days. So we are talking about the immediate peace dividend of the Abraham Accords. You know, it, even before the Abraham Accords, there was no doubt that the UAE and Bahrain and other countries in the Middle East benefited from Israeli expertise, and that includes Saudi Arabia etc jordan egypt and that expertise by and large in in intelligence in countering terrorism in countering threats to themselves but also in technology of different in in a range of different areas the the cooperation being delivered um in uh you know very much under the radar fashion well now it's less under the radar as abraham uh, has come into play and hopefully will expand in the coming months and years but yes, I would see I would see the same pattern as you've seen. And incidentally, one I think one point that I would make about about Israel's approach to coronavirus, dealing with coronavirus, and that applies to vaccine vaccination probably more, or at least as much as controlling the disease itself, is education. And they, I think you know I've seen examples of of the ways in which they've gone out of their way to educate their people in the benefits of the measures that are being advocated in a way that I haven't seen so much. I mean, yes, there is an element of that in this country, but I think they've gone even further. And I don't know if they've learned this lesson from history, but what I do know is that that, that issue, education, 
played a huge role the last time Israel had to deal with a, I'm not saying it's comparable, but it had to deal with um, a major kind of uh, plague over the land, which was malaria, when Israel conquered malaria back in the period after. Well, when I say Israel, it was actually done pre, pre the Jewish state. It was done, uh, you know, in, in the land of the mandate of Palestine after the First World War, when they had one of the greatest problems of malaria that any country in the world had, which caused Arabs and Jews to die very, very large numbers at very young ages. And many villages and communities were basically very small numbers and decimated because of it. Large areas of the country couldn't be uh, occupied, couldn't be used. Um, and then a chap called Israel Klieger, a, a Jewish uh, expert in dealing with this kind of problem, arrived and, and was instrumental in organizing the anti-malarial campaign, which was the most successful anti-malarial campaign anywhere in the world, uh, which effectively pretty much stamped out malaria in that land. Uh, and that was not entirely due. There were many reasons behind it. But one of the reasons was the education program he instituted and his colleagues instituted for both Jews and Arabs. Uh, in, in that territory. That is fascinating insight. Thank you very much for that history lesson and indeed uh, the, the perspective about uh, medical education. Israel has a, a real sense of community that responds well to a unified threat and I guess this is the other thing about it that you know we are concerned with uh, our privacy in this country in a way that Israel just isn't. Everyone kind of knows where people live there are kibbutzim, there are moshavim, there are development towns, there are um, what Jason Greenback would call cities, what uh, some uh, more controversial people in our eyes would call settlements. It makes much more of a modular system built to survive attacks. I'm going to say something Brexity here, uh, Richard, but uh, you know it looks like when you have a national purpose such as this, and people fight and they disagree, but when they come together. The idea that all life is sacred really has helped to uh, to drive this extraordinary vaccination program. I think you're right, and and I think um, patriotism plays a big role in the life of of any country that is under some form of threat. Now, it's it's arguably it's less important, although I would maybe take some issue with that statement that I'm making myself. But arguably, it's less important to a country that's not under any great threat. But it does, I think it does help to unify, it helps to people to work together to a common purpose, even in times of, of low risk, low threat. But in particular, when you're threatened by something, whether it's external forces, whether it's terrorism from within, whether it's a pandemic, then patriotism, which essentially means people identifying with their country, with their nation, with their fellow citizens, and working in their interests above all you know beyond beyond financial reward beyond personal direct personal interest of course personal interest and national interest are, have a great deal in common but beyond all of that um, patriotism i think um is a force when when it can be adopted as a force that uh can work enormous benefits in this kind of situation and i think I would say one thing about the state of Israel compared to, let's say, to most European states, if not all European states, is that patriotism is stronger among the Israelis than it is in, for example, our country 
and in European countries. And that's partly deliberate because patriotism and uh, association with national identity have been deliberately undermined in Europe, uh, partly and pro probably mainly in order to advance the idea of a European project. And that, I think, has damaged. It's been damaging for, um, for probably the population of every country in Europe. But I think it's telling to see that, that our country has been the most advanced and most successful at obtaining and then beginning a program of vaccination that, uh, among all the countries in Europe. And that's partly, probably almost entirely because of the constraints that the EU have had on them, their member states. And of course, we're not one of them. Why have Erasmus when we can have something called Alan Turing for our students to turn over? And I think that was something which really struck me, the idea of uh, giving it a national identity. Alan Turing is, is uh, is, is a national hero, whoever you ask, in Britain, and a very unifying force. And Erasmus is a bunch of initials. Um, I'm deviating slightly away from, uh, from our discussion here, but that's the sort of uh, point we're making about creating a national identity and a, and a purpose uh, around I agree, and, and, and I'm, not an, I'm not an expert on um, Erasmus or or the cheering the it doesn't cheering. it doesn't stop me richard you know no no, no i know it doesn't <laughs> but um I, I i i'm not an expert on that but i but i my understanding is that the cheering plan will be for a global program rather than one that's yeah. introverted into europe and as the erasmus is and of course that you know erasmus is not really a program to educate people it's a program to propagandize people it's a program to proselytize for Europe for the European project, which they're desperate to advance, consolidate and grow. Whereas I think Erasmus is not looking inwards like that. It's look, I beg your pardon, sure. Turing is looking wider and outwards and it's quite right too. We have seen an awful lot of, yeah, but the Palestinians in uh, two ways uh, and in reports. And the last straw was watching uh, Sky News where Mark Stone opened his uh, broadcast, his two-way with Mark Austin, with those very words. I would rather hope that he might have left it till four minutes in. You know, we're going to hear it. But he started with it. Um, now, we know that the Oslo Accords says that health issues are for the Palestinians and Israeli issues are for the Israeli people. And incidentally, Israeli people are Christians, they're Arabs, they're Druze, they're Bedouins, they're Jews. They are even uh, people who might self-identify as Palestinians if they live in Haifa or, or Tel Aviv, etc., Jerusalem. Um, but um, the, the, the idea that uh, Israel has deliberately um, uh, kept vaccines away from the Palestinians is awful. And in fact, it's been a bit embarrassing, hasn't it, for the Palestinians, because some vaccines have gone uh, to the Palestinians. And because of their factionalism, it's rather gone to the top dogs, hasn't it? You know, it's... Um... It came as absolutely no surprise the way this has unfolded in relation to anti-Israel propaganda in the Western media, both here in the UK and across the um, Atlantic, and I suspect in mainland Europe as well. I haven't read any European papers on this, but I'm sure they're full of it. And, and the, 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 they had a real problem, a real problem, because they, they were faced with Israel's world-leading progress in the vaccination program, which they couldn't ignore. Public interest is so great in this whole issue, quite understandably, they couldn't just ignore what Israel was doing, as they do their best whenever they can to ignore every other good thing that Israel does. If they can find something they can 
distort or turn into bad, they will. And if they can ignore something that's good anyway and can't be twisted, they will certainly ignore it. They couldn't do that with this. So what they did, they reported to an extent the facts of Israel's tremendous uh, successes so far. But they had to then contort that with the news that Israel, of course, has discriminated against broken international law in, in not directly vaccinating Palestinian Arabs with the same in the same program as uh, Israeli citizens. And, and it's not just media, it's not just newspapers, it's not just television, radio. It, it's also um, people like Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, the United Nations, other so-called human rights organizations, which don't really have an interest in human rights, but they, in many cases, like Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, they seem to spend, and the UN, they seem to spend an inordinate amount of time trying to bash Israel rather than deal with proper human rights. But they all latched onto this and they all lied. They all falsely accused Israel of doing something. And they, this is not, this is, let's, not, let's not be mistaken about this. These people are not fools. If I understand and you understand and your listeners and viewers understand, as, as I'm sure they do, that Israel has broken no international laws, that Israel does not have this obligation to uh, inoculate Palestinian Arabs in the Middle East. Um, but if we understand that, they understand, of course they understand it, but they can't stand it, they can't bear it, they have to twist it, they have to make it fit their agenda. It's sinister, and it's part of a long pattern of slander and abuse against the Jewish state. And the reality is, of course, you know, that the Oslo Accords in the 1990s discriminated between what uh, Israel is responsible for what the Palestinian Authority, which it created, is responsible for. Healthcare, including inoculations, were the responsibility exclusively of the Palestinian Authority. That is the law. That's the treaty. That's the way it works. They know that. It does not contravene any international law, even though they've quoted international laws, they say it's contravened. So that's the demarcation and the discrimination. You rightly said that we, we do understand that Israel has provided some doses of vaccine at the specific unofficial request of Palestinian Authority officials, which, as I understand it, as you say, went to the top level officials rather than maybe mere normal individuals, um, which is a, a kind of absolutely characteristic of the corruption and self-interest of the Palestinian Authority, which has, of course, taken vast amounts of money from our taxes and rather than use them on the welfare and the well-being, the good and the economy of their people, they've gone straight into their own pockets. And, that, you know, I think it's true to say that leaders of the Palestinian Authority and terrorist leaders like Hamas are among the wealthiest extremists anywhere in the world. Um, and that's, that's the case. Now, of course, it's right, given the proximity of the Palestinian Arab population and the uh, the Israeli, Arab and Jewish population, given their proximity, of course, both of those entities have a duty, not, not, not under law, but just a, a common decency, common sense duty to cooperate with each other in terms of controlling the virus and vaccinating against it. And as I understand it, they have been doing that uh, to, to, to one extent or another, as far as it's possible to do it. Of course, you know, the, the suggestion, as was made by some of these media organizations and some so-called human rights organizations, 
that, that Israel should be vaccinating people in Gaza. It's just absolutely preposterous. This is a country that considers itself at war with Israel and has been actively attacking Israel. Now, how does anybody expect Israel to go and vaccinate their citizens? Well, of course, they don't expect it. They know it can't happen, but it's another way of trying to uh, distort the situation. And finally, uh, Richard, it wouldn't be a discussion uh, with Colonel Richard Kemp without a state of the nation snapshot from you, sir. The Biden administration is in power across all three arms of the American executive, something that I don't think many would have imagined even uh, two months ago. Uh, But my question is, I mean, they are a very, very different administration in flavor to the Trump administration. And so do you think they will use the unraveling days of Donald J. Trump's time as president as an excuse to overturn some of his policies, particularly in relation to the Middle East? I think um, what we've seen in the last four years of uh, the, the, the Trump administration is the most extraordinary progress in the Middle East in terms of uh, normalization of relationships and indeed peace between Israel and the Arabs. It's a phenomenal accomplishment. Um, and uh, it, it really started, I think, with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's speech to the Knesset in 2015, in which he um, stood up against Barack Obama's uh, plans to, uh, to, to, to create a deal with the Iranians on the nuclear issue, which, which we call the JCPOA, which effectively paved the way for a nuclear bomb for Iran. And I think when he made that stand, that lone, almost Churchillian stand, as I'm sure Prime Minister Netanyahu would certainly like it to be. (laughs) He'd love it. And indeed, (laughs) there there were elements of Churchill in that. Um, I I, I had the the privilege of being there. And it was one of the most tiring um, few hours of my life because we spent our entire time getting up and down and standing ovations during his speech. But it 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 was a monumental occasion. Uh, in Congress, and um, that that led the Arab countries, I think Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Bahrain, um, in particular, but other Arab countries as well. It led them to understand that Israel and they had common cause. They they could be and should be on the same side in relation to a common threat, and that in turn, with enormous work by the likes of Jason Greenblatt, Jared Kushner. David Friedman in uh, in Israel, uh, and and of course President Trump himself, uh, as well as Israeli Netanyahu and his people, and Yossi Cohen, the head of Mossad, led to the Abraham Accords, um, and that you know it it is it is a phenomenal achievement, I think unparalleled anywhere, and in fact over here in Britain, David Trimble, Lord Trimble, the former First Minister of Northern Ireland, has. Um, put in a nomination. He himself is a Nobel Peace Prize winner. He put in a nomination for Prime Minister Netanyahu to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize along uh, along with the Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi. Um, And, uh, you know, in recognition of the Abraham Accords. And we we will see what happens about that. I, I suspect while the, the, the Nobel Committee would very much like to confer an, uh, a Nobel Prize on the, the Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi, I suspect. I suspect they would be very strongly resistant to conferring one on Netanyahu. Not because they don't believe he's made 
great achievements, but simply for political reasons. So we will see about that. I hope I hope it succeeds and I hope he gets it. But I, I say this sort of by way of it's sort of slightly long-winded way of answering your question, but the, 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 the fact is we have seen phenomenal progress. We need to see that progress continue. Under President Biden, we need to see his administration pushing forward with the Abraham Accords and persuading and helping to facilitate other Arab countries to join those accords. I have my doubts as to whether he will be active in that, because I, I do believe that he his, he's filling up his administration, whatever his personal views, he's filling up his administration with traditional peace processes whose prescriptions for peace in the Middle East have repeatedly failed over decades, and but yet still believe that theirs is the right way and this is the wrong way. So that's one issue. The other issue, I think, is the Iran nuclear deal, which I might mention just a moment ago. And that's something under the current U.S. administration. Um, we've seen max a maximum pressure campaign imposing sanctions, really putting the regime under great pressure. And it has done so, including the, the killing of uh, Soleimani, the, the terrorist in charge of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. These sort of actions uh, have, have pressured the, the regime to an extent where I think they are now very unstable and at risk of at some point falling at some point, which well, I believe would be a good thing as long as it's properly, hopefully properly controlled, if it can be done. But um, uh, to, for, that it, I, I also believe that the, the Biden administration uh, includes people who were strong adherents to the JCPOA, to the Iran deal, including the, the guy nominated to be the um, head of the CIA, was instrumental in arranging the, um, the JCPOA. And I think that their inclination and all the noises that are coming out of Washington now will incline them to go that way, to, to, to try and return to the nuclear deal, which will be catastrophic. They will not get any concessions out of Iran on this. They will probably, if anything, Iran will probably get them to do easier terms than up to now. Uh, and so we'll be back to a situation where we have a path paved to a nuclear weapon by an, a US-sponsored deal and leaving Israel probably alone and with, with backing of some Arab countries, including perhaps Saudi Arabia, uh, but, but leaving Israel alone to, to hopefully deal with the nuclear program as, as best it can in whatever way it can, militarily through cyber operations, sabotage, uh, and, and maybe by eliminating other Iranian scientists and people in, intimately involved in the process. And the final area I think that I would be slightly concerned about is, um, not slightly very concerned about, is uh, what, I would, what I would expect uh, the next Biden administration to take an, a, a softer line on China. And China is uh, a, a problem that afflicts the whole world. And I, I would strongly advocate the Biden administration. I'm sure most members of the Biden administration will be listening to your podcast, Johnny. I think they probably watch it religiously. Um, <laughs> I, I would certainly say to them that, you know, that, that uh, if nothing else, the two, two of their top foreign policy priorities should be not to go back into the Iranian nuclear deal and to do everything they can to form an, a strong alliance to counter the 
the, the dangerous progress that China is making across the world. Richard, when you are a guest on my podcast, the whole world should most definitely listen. Thank you very much indeed for once again appearing on Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, Johnny. Great pleasure as ever. Never miss another Johnny Gould's Jewish State. And be first to hear the next show by subscribing now. Follow Johnny Gould on Twitter and Johnny Gould Show on Facebook. And if you liked what you heard today, leave a rating or review. That really helps bring more listeners to the show.